We're here in this series, a quick stroll through Genesis and Exodus. And today our passage is an important and powerful story in our stroll. It's a pivotal revelation for Moses, the story of Moses and the burning bush, where Moses meets God, where he learns God's name, where he experiences his calling. It's a long and meaty passage, folks. It's a full meal, so it's a lot to digest. So let's get ready, let's pray, and let's get to it. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive the fullness of your word this morning. Guide us and form us as we seek a deeper understanding of your will for our lives and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So listen to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you should say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this week as I was preparing my sermon, Steve Fainer sent me a text asking me if I was writing my sermon barefoot. 
So it was a bit silly, right? But it got me thinking about absorbing the word of God, of being present to God, present through our very being, our hearts and our minds. And it got me thinking about the humanity of Moses as he encountered God. I was thinking about Moses' feet on the sharp rocks. So this is what Mount Horab, or Mount Sinai, looks like. Imagine being barefoot there. So putting ourselves in Moses' shoes, okay, in his bare feet, requires that we remember the arc of his life up to now in this story. You remember from last week, Moses was one of the Hebrew baby boys that was supposed to be killed by rule of the Pharaoh. But through twists and turns and providence, he was rescued by a royal daughter of Pharaoh, and he becomes an adopted son, grandson of the Pharaoh. Kind of surprising. He spends 40 years privileged in the courts of Pharaoh, and then Moses chooses to turn from that privilege to embrace his people, the Hebrew people, the Israelites. Moses becomes an advocate for the Hebrews, but he goes too far. He kills a man who is beating a slave. So here we find Moses, as he's isolated himself from both those two worlds. He has married a foreign woman, foreign to his people, and then he spends 40 years as a humble shepherd, not even working for himself, but working for his father-in-law. He's wandered far from his upbringing, from his people. At this point, out with the sheep, he's also far from his in-laws. He's in a dry and desolate place. You saw that rocky mountain. And this nomadic life would be hard work for Moses. He's had to roam far with this flock, apparently. You know, sheep are sort of scrappy creatures, and they feed on straggly growth, but there's not a lot of green in this area. So Moses sees this burning bush, and what's incredible is not just that it's burning, but that there's actually a bush there. There's a little green. It's scarce there. And this is a pivotal moment in Moses' life. He's far from home, but he is not far from God. An important thing is that Moses experiences that God is personal. God is not remote. God is close to those who are hurting, cut down, lonely. God comes close to Moses and to us in our humanity. Our humanity is an invitation to holiness. I know that seems backwards, but the things that capture our hearts, the things that make us grieve, the things that hurt us, the things that derail us in our frailty, these are the very things that draw us closer to God. Old Testament theologian Ellen Davis writes this about this passage, that God is drawn to Moses because of his capacity to be derailed for the things, for the sake of the things of God. This reveals something about God. At Sinai, God is revealed as a deity who jumps the tracks, a God who gets derailed for the sake of humanity. That was very different than the ancient understandings of other gods. So our passage today is rich in details about this exchange between Moses and God. We even know Moses' thoughts in, in a... Many other passages where God is engaging with people, it feels a bit more concise. But here we have Moses thinking, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. 
and the Lord is watching. And when he sees that Moses has turned aside, that's when he calls out to him, Moses, Moses, come over here. And Moses says, here I am. And God says, stay there, come no closer, remove your sandals, for you are on holy ground. Now Moses isn't perfect, but Moses is, even far out in the desert, far away from everyone, he's curious and open. He turns aside to see this burning bush, this revelation, because God's revelation is close and personal, comes down to the dusty mountain where Moses is toiling. But Moses, Moses pays attention first, and then God engages him. There is this interesting tradition in the early Greek church Gregory of Nicaea was the first one to write about this in the fourth century, about God coming down, that this burning bush prefigured the incarnation of God through Jesus. He wrote that the burning bush and the womb of Mary are ultimately one revelation of God, just separated by his time, because in the fullness of time, God was compelled by love to deliver the world through Jesus a fire that continues to burn but is never consumed. So here are some images. Mary's pregnancy with the Son of God as revelation in her womb. But this one I like, side by side, Moses and Mary. One barefoot, one pregnant. Moses' feet on God's creation. Mary's womb filled with the promise of the Messiah. God's revelation isn't just about God's need for us to bring him all awe and glory, but it's motivated by reaching down to God's people, reaching down with God and love for humanity. God's love and compassion is evident. God's reaching out is evident. But so is God's power to redeem. So is God's identity and God's name. Because at the heart of this passage is God's holy name. And here we find that powerful statement where God says, I am. The original Hebrew has some important nuances to capture that word. You know, language is powerful, right? We know how language can build up or tear down. Words capture truth and convey truth in important ways. And I was pondering about this on Friday night when I probably should have been working on my sermon, but I walked downstairs to see what my husband Dave was up to, and he was watching this movie, and I joined him, mostly because I was getting distracted, but also because it was Amy Adams, and I love her. You might know this movie called Arrival. Has anyone seen it? Yes? Oh, you should all see it. Intelligent aliens arrive in spaceships hovering all around places in the earth, multiple places, and experts worldwide, they try to establish language and communications. And Amy Adams' character, Amy, it, Louise is her name, she's brought in because she's a linguistic specialist, and she has a way of studying language, understanding that it forms culture and society. She's chosen not because she's an expert that works with the military or anything, but because she has this nuanced understanding about how language shapes us, not just how we shape language. So she starts out with teaching them the word human. And it's interesting, these, these aliens that look a little bit like, oh, I think they look a little bit like octopus, they have this alien, non-linear language. 
with a circular representation. And because it's nonlinear, it allows them to perceive time differently. And here's the alien's language for human. Humans who learn this new language in the movie, they can perceive the future. And this is what Louise says, now I'm not so sure I believe in beginning and endings, but there are days that define your story beyond your life, like the day they arrive. And I thought to myself, yes, the day they arrive, the day that Moses experiences the revelation and arrival of God. There's some overlap and similarity, right? Because we know language is important. The language of God defines us. Jesus is described as the Word made flesh. The Word made flesh was what just kept resonating in my mind as I traveled the land of Jesus, as I was in Israel and Palestine. I just kept hearing the Word made flesh. If you remember, Moses asks God when they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God says, I am who I am but it also could be translated with all these nuances of language, the one who always will be, or the one who is continuing and who always was, all these things together. God is I am. This is timeless language of faith. And so for us, in our circle of faith, we are in the center of God's compassion. We receive hope. We have this experience of our humanity being where God engage with, engages with us, but at the center is that identity of God, that timeless identity. God says, this will be my name forever. This is my title, my remembrance for the cycle of all generations. So God's identity transcends all time. God was present to Moses and to humanity in the past. God is present to humanity now, and God will be present to us in our future, past, present, and future. So as we seek to absorb this cycle, this nonlinear language of love, church, I remind you, we've got this beautiful expression of God's love. We've got God's word. Let's read it and absorb it, because there's mystery and beauty. There is mercy and grace, and it is not received in a linear way. It's received through this expression of this eternal God eternally seeking us and loving us. You remember when we were exploring the I am statements of Jesus? It is because he is that expression of the timeless love of God. You remember some of those, I am the way and the truth and the life, and I am the light of the world, the beacon that comes from Mary's womb into the world to bring new life to humanity. So embracing this cycle of compassion and hope, God calls us out to help each other, to be in each other's life. Right in this passage, you heard of Moses' call. Moses doesn't believe the people will follow him. He doesn't believe he's the one to lead them out of their enslavement because he still hasn't grasped that central truth that he's not to solve their problems. Only God's power can do that, but he's to be a role model of seeking and following God, helping them to trust. Church, we also want to be people who heed the call to share God's compassion and hope with each other, because you know what happens sometimes. 
when someone is despairing or life is hard, they have a tendency to isolate. We need to reach out to each other, reach out to those who are hurting, who are isolated. We need to both give and receive care. That's part of the cycle of God's goodness in our lives. So today we're going to call on and vote new leaders for our church, elders and deacons. But yes, some are called to lead to a ministry of compassion and some to a ministry of nurture and governance. But we're all called. Every single one of us should be saying yes to being called to lead in hope for Jesus. We're all called to giving and receiving hope and compassion. And church, we are a compassionate church. People tell us that all the time. Pastor Dave and I hear that, that they receive a welcome. And it isn't about us. It's about all of you. We know we can't fix our broken world, but we can companion each other in hope. As Moses learns, he doesn't need to be perfect. He just needs to seek out his people, live into his call. Because we have this hope of a promised land, a fertile land of milk and honey, birth into a promise of abundance and security, not scarcity. But the road is not always easy, right? Remember for Moses, there's struggle and struggle ahead, 40 years of struggling and wandering for the Hebrew people. But this is what they discovered and what we know now. God is present now to us in this very time and will be present in the future. And as we gather at the table of grace this morning, this table, we gather remembering backwards what this food symbolizes, forward what it means for us, God's salvation, and what it means for us in the present, that it's a fullness of the feast that we're gathering together. So we seek to be like Moses with bare feet on the reality of our lives, filled with awe, and a bit like Mary, pregnant with hope. Remember Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Remember that? Let's gather at the table and receive that life from him. Amen? Amen.